0: David has now become king. And under David's leadership, a number of wonderful things happened. The borders of Israel has been expanded from 6,000 square miles to 60,000 square miles. And David brought in all kinds of commerce and all kinds of wealth, you might want to say, to those individuals. He opened up all those particular trade routes. And he also... Created a revival, you might want to say, among the Jewish people and individuals. And part of what we're focusing on this morning is that Jewish revival that David instituted and helped bring about. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I'm asking that you'd help me to share your word and make it applicable to our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for helping us with all the different things this past week, the mountaintops, the valleys, the in-between times. And I ask, again, that you'd help me to make your word just where the rubber meets the road in our lives. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. We all, we've all we all heard the saying, don't sweat the small stuff, right? We've all heard that saying, don't sweat the small stuff. Uh, and yet, those particular times, especially in my um, mechanical, my mechanical abilities, those times that I've ignored the small stuff, I've gotten into trouble. One time I put a barbecue together, and it took me hour after hour after hour because I did not follow the instructions. It did not work. Don't sweat the small stuff. I I needed to get the detailed instructions to figure out how to put that barbecue together. I'm talking about a gas barbecue, not one of those (laughs) Weber's. Some of you are saying, man, he's pretty dumb. He can't even put a, a charcoal barbecue together. I'm talking about one of those gas ones. Okay. A couple of years ago, we went to Seattle, Washington. Uh, my son was uh, had a conference up there, and so we flew up there, and we spent a weekend in Seattle, Washington. And we, it was like kind of, We were kind of like tourists, you might want to say. We did all the particular tourist things. And uh, on the way back, we went through the airport security area like most of you, and you've, you've gone through, if those of you who have flown in airplanes, you know the usual ritual. You get in line, you take off your shoes, take off your watch, take off all the metal things, take off your belt, and then if you have a backpack or you have a luggage you're carrying with you, you put it through the particular thing and they, they scan it, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Well, I, did, I thought I was doing great. You know, I, I don't do this every day. So I took off my shoes real fast, took off my belt fast. I, I make it a contest how quickly I can do it these days. And so I, I'm doing everything else I can do. When all of a sudden, after my backpack goes through, the gentleman yells out really loud, um, <clears throat> is that your backpack? Speaking to me, is that your backpack? I said, yes. He said, um, <clears throat> there's a bottle of water in it. You're not supposed to carry water to the security check area. There's a bottle of water in it. We want you to come over here. So I went over there, and they did a full body search. No, not really. But they, they said, we want you to take out the contents of your backpack. Take out all the contents of your backpack. and uh, And then I did that. And then he looked at me very sternly, and he said, why did you... Try to get away with carrying a bottle in your backpack like I was some sort of terrorist or something. And, and I, I made some sort of lame excuse. I said something like, well, you know, I don't travel every single day, you know, and, and I just forgot. And I did. He looked at me like, what a lame, stupid excuse. Paying attention, paying attention to the details, paying attention to the details of our life are very, very important. Paying attention to the details of our life, our secular life, are very, very important. Even more important is paying attention to how the Lord is directing and how the Lord is leading and how the Lord is speaking to us because the Lord is speaking to us all the time, all the time. This is what we see in our study this morning on the life of David. Let me set the scene for the particular a story that Pastor Brad got through reading now Israel had become spiritually malnourished, you want to say under saul's administration and reign. Saul was a king for forty years, and a number of terrible, horrible things happened under his administration, and the tabernacle, the very place and not the temple but the tabernacle of God, fell in disarray, and it was being uh, it was deteriorating, you might want to say. And all the decorations and all its furnishings had been scattered and, and uh, taken off helter skelter, including the Ark of the Covenant. And if you can believe it, the enemy the enemy had the Ark of the Covenant in their possession. Now that doesn't mean very much to us today, does it really? But in those days, the Ark of the Covenant meant the very presence the very presence of God. God's presence had departed because the Lord dwelt in his glory upon the Ark of the Covenant. Now you see, everywhere the Ark of the Covenant was placed, God's glory came down there in a very, very special way. And it was part of their worship, you might want to say, of Jehovah God. And since it represented the very presence of God, it was the very holiest place on earth. And David had taken over from Saul, the kingship. And he realized that there was a, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't there. There was no central place of worship, you might want to say. And the spiritual walk of the people of Israel had been deteriorating ever since the Ark of the Tur- Covenant had uh, been confiscated. And they were becoming very, very lukewarm. And their hearts were anything but hot after God. And as their new la- leader, David, needed to put the piece of the sacred furniture back in its rightful place. So notice chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, one more time. David again brought together out of Israel all these men, 30,000 in all. He and his men set out from Bala, and Judah, to bring up from the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, uh, which is called by name, the name of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim on that Ark. And, and, uh, it's on the mercy seat of God, that's where the God's presence dwelt. Verse 3, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house in Abnadah, which is on the hill, and Uzzah and Aho and Abinadab were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Aho was walking in front of it, and David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and with harps and lyre and tambourines and sistrums and cymbals. But notice verse 6, when they came to the threshing floor, Uzzah reached out. And took a hold of the ark because the oxen stumbled and the Lord's anger, verse 7, burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. So here's David. He's rejoicing and he's celebrating and he's shouting and there's musicians and all of these people are saying, hooray, hooray, shalom, shalom. The Ark of the Covenant is going to come back and we're going to worship God in the tabernacle area and God's presence will be there, the Shekinah glory of God. And uh, now is a very good time to explain what the Ark of the Covenant actually looked like and what it contained. You know, Hollywood has its version, but this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that the Ark of the Covenant, God gave specific instructions what it was to be made out of. It was made out of acacia wood. Acacia wood. And the Ark of the Covenant was about three and three fourths feet long. It was about two and a half feet in height and about two and a half feet wide. And it was gold plated. Gold plated on the inside, gold plated on the outside. And there was a golden grill, you might want to say, that you could see through on the very top. And On either side of the mercy seat, that was called the mercy seat of God, were these golden cherubims or these golden angels made out of gold with their wings extended toward one another. And um, stay with me, there's more. Beneath the mercy grate in the ark were three objects. The first object was a jar that was filled full of manna representing God's providence his providential way of providing remember the children in the wilderness and then Aaron's rod was also placed in the ark of the covenant Representing God's miraculous works and the things that God did to help deliver the children of Israel and then the third thing that was in the ark of the covenant was the Ten Commandments written on stone placed Right there all of these things were very very dear and sacred to the children of Israel now to us, this might sound kind of strange, because all of our worship is open, and it's realistic. and and, and But we see everything now after Jesus Christ came, and how he died, and, and how he rose again. But prior to Calvary, there were so many things that, um, that you might want to say that you were types, and pictures, and symbols. It was like you're seeing an image through through a foggy mirror. You see the image, but you don't know the details. And so... God couldn't come down in His fullness, so His His presence was there. This kind of glory of God, this is what the Scripture says, and um, and that's the way they worshipped. And they had a box, and upon that box shone the very glory of God uh, over this golden grate, this mercy seat of God. Now, to be sure, to be sure, this piece of furniture was absolutely holy. It was set apart. By God, so careful, uh, so careful was God with his detailed instructions about it that he, he even told people how the Ark of the Covenant was to be carried. I had a conversation one time with a person, and they said to me, Pastor Ron, God does not care about the details of my life or your life. He doesn't care about the details. They abided with that uh, philosophy, that theological thought that God just set the world in motion, and then he removed himself. He doesn't care where I live. He doesn't care who I marry. He doesn't care where I work. He doesn't care whether or not I uh, commit adultery, whether or not I have premarital sex. He doesn't care about any of those things. God is far and removed From us and I just simply without Letting them have it because that's your first impulse. Just let them have it. I simply said, you know what Jesus said Jesus said that God the Father knows the very number of hairs on the top of our head and he knows when a sparrow falls and dies Jesus said how much more? Is God interested in my paraphrase in the details of our lives he's interested in the details of our lives God's specific direction on how to move the ark was to be carried out at the base of the ark were four golden rings you might want to say ringlets and they were supposed to slip these gold plated rods through these ringlets and no human being was to ever touch the ark Also, God clearly stated that the handling of the Ark of the Covenant was to be done by the Levitical priests. And they were to slip these poles through these eyelets on each corner of the Ark, and they were supposed to carry the Ark upon their shoulders. And that's where David got into trouble. David was a pragmatist. He's like me. He's like you. He's a decision-maker, a man that got things done. He knew in order for people to worship God, the Ark of the Covenant should be moved back to the tabernacle yesterday. Yesterday. He's in a rush. He wants to get it done. He wants to get it done yesterday. And so they take the Ark of the Covenant down the hill on the new cart that they had made and, and, and to the home of Abinam and the quickest from his home and the quickest and best way that David could go. He went that way and he went the quickest he could go and he got all these men down there and they begin to haul that Ark of the Covenant as quickly as possible toward Jerusalem. And so they're bringing it down the hill, you might want to say, and they got it someplace when something terrible and awful happens. Something unimaginable. Again, look at verses 6 and 7. When they came to the threshing throw of this person, Uzzah reached out and he took hold of the ark and, he, and, and of God because the oxen stumbled. He wanted to prevent it from falling. That's a logical thing, right? You don't want the ark of the covenant to break all the pieces. And verse 7, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died right there beside the ark of God. Again, this man was trying to do what would be the logical thing. He didn't know the difference. The ark was about ready to teeter over at one point or another, and so he grabs a, he grabs a hold of it to prevent that. That's all he did. I, I Really, wasn't that the practical thing to do? Rather than let it fall off the cart and possibly break all apart? You just grab a hold of it, right? Use a guide. Well, what is right? Let me tell you what's right. No one would have died if they would have gotten those golden poles, stuck them through the golden eyelets, and if the Levitical priests had carried it on their shoulders, and if no one had touched the Ark of the Covenant, no one would have died. But David, in his rush, didn't do that. He took a convenient route, and he changed the details to fit the circumstances. This is not in your message notes, but I want you to write it out there someplace. Never change the details to fit the circumstances. He changed the details to fit The circumstances now listen when it comes to obeying God not only on in the Ten Commandments Not only in the black and white scriptural principles and precepts of God But in the very quiet moments that we have when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and says do this and do don't do that In those moments. It is very very important to be obedient To God It's in the details it's in the ring and the poles that can snag us. Either people don't want to go and, and and to get the poles, you might want to say, and to put them through the ringlets upon their shoulders, or we grab a cart and rewrite the rules, and we do it our way. Now, we believe we're under grace, and we are. And if we blatantly disobey God, he may not strike us dead, like Uzzah. But there's always consequences. There are. You can't get around it. I just have to ask this question because it's, it's, it's on the my tip of my tongue, but are there rings and poles that uh, that we've been ignoring? Are the rings of poles we've been ignoring? For example, do you claim every single source of income at tax time? Are you being kind and loving toward that most difficult, difficult, unlovable person? Are you honoring all those authorities that God has placed in your life? A couple of years ago, uh, former President Ronald Reagan—they celebrated his hundredth birthday. You remember that they celebrated uh, President Ronald Reagan's birthday, and they had a they had a special on his life on PBS. And I watched that special. I knew a lot about President Reagan, but I didn't know some of the things that they talked about. Um, For example, did you know that President Reagan had supposedly on his desk a saying that says, great things can be accomplished if people don't care who get the credit for accomplishing those things. But did you know that when John Hinckley Jr. shot and wounded President Reagan, he was in his 80s, he spent time in recovering the hospital, and he let it known. he let everybody know, He let the whole world know. He said it in his speech. He talked about it among his friends. He talked about it in his family. He said that he believed that God spared his life because God had a specific plan and purpose for him. And he was renewed in his faith after he was shot. He was always a believer, but he was renewed in his faith after he was shot. Sometimes it just is unfortunate but it takes a tragedy or it takes a painful event to acknowledge that. Up to this point, David's attitude was kind of like laissez-faire. Get the job done, whatever the cost. Don't worry about the details. Don't worry about the small stuff. We're going to transport the ark so long as it gets back to Jerusalem. And the results justified the means he thought to himself. But God cared. God cured David, and and, and to prove it, he took a man's life, an innocent man's life, you might want to say. And now here's David standing alongside a corpse, and he gets mad. Look at verse 8 with me. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath broke out against Uzzah, and to this day the place is called Perez-Uzzah. Wait a minute. I thought David was a man after God's own heart, Pastor Ron. Look at the front of the bulletin there. God says... In the book of Acts, David is a man after his own heart, and yet we know that he's made out of bones and muscle and sinewy, and we know that David did make mistakes, and we know that David got involved at time in gross immorality. We can have a perfect heart, perfect attentions, but not perfect performance. I have no doubt that David's heart was right. His motives were right. But he just didn't take the time to follow through with the details. And so a man dies. Look at verse 9 with me. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come back to me? How can we move the ark of the lord the problem was is that david really did not do his homework he did not consult god about the details he only consulted god afterward and we've all heard that saying lord bless my plans <laughs> bless my plans this is what i want to do and i'm asking your blessings for it you got it backwards. you got to consult God first. What's your will on this, Lord? What do you want me to do? Give me the details of my life. Now, we're all familiar with the well-known Christian personality, Eric Little. We talked about Eric Little here one other time. Did you know this this Olympic champion runner who was the hero of the movie Chariots of Fire? He had a remarkable ministry in prison. Yes, he went to China. And they put him in a prison. Did you know that? He was in prison in China, and he ended up dying in that prison in North China during World War II. And his biographer speaks of, 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 of the high esteem in which Eric Little was held in the Weinstein prisoner of war camp in China. What was the secret of his extraordinary leadership and of his joy and integrity? amidst this enormous hardship. The biographer quotes a woman who was in camp at the time and with her husband who knew Eric Little well. And this is what she wrote. What was his secret? Uh, once I asked him, but I knew already, for my husband was in this dormitory and shared the secret with him. Every morning about 6 a.m. with curtains tightly drawn to keep in the shining of our peanut oil lamp, lest the prowling sentries would... Think someone was trying to escape. He used to climb out of the top bunk, past the sleeping forms of his dormitory mates. Then, at the small Chinese table, the two men would sit close together with light, just to illumine their Bibles and notebooks. Silently, they read and they pray, prayed and they thought about what should be done. Eric was a person who spent time listening to God, communing with Him. And when God spoke, he obeyed. I think, me included, we often get in trouble when we don't do our homework, when we think that we see pretty clearly what the Lord's will is. And so in a hurry, in a rush to get things done, we say, Lord, um, you've written a lot of things in your word, in your book, um, but I've got my own decisions that I want to make. And God always says, Consult my word, consult my precepts, pray, seek wisdom, seek counsel from other people. And David did not do this. And the Lord said, To get your attention, David, I'll even take a life. Who cares? about the Levitical priests, God did. Who cared about the golden rods that were supposed to be inserted in those golden ringlets, God did. Who cared about the fact that the, that they were supposed to carry the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders? God cared about this. And so David should have cared and, and we have to care as well. Um, on this trip that I talked about in Seattle, Washington, we did the tourist thing. We visited downtown Seattle, and then we also visited, where else? Where else do you go in Seattle? The Space Needle. And it was evening time. And those of you who have been up there, it's beautiful. It's that 360-degree view. It turns around slowly. The Puget Sound is there, all the glow of the lights of Seattle. You smell the ocean breeze, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. And while I was up there, it was really romantic. But I'm kind of strange sometimes. I think about some things that I should not be thinking about. I thought to myself, what would happen? What would happen if I jumped off the edge? I'm, I'm hundreds of feet up in the air. What would happen? What would happen if I ignored gravity? What would happen if I ignored the law of gravity? I would be smashed like a pumpkin on the sidewalk, and I would die. I, I would die. When God says in his word, here are my commandments, here are my precepts, here are my principles, Don't commit adultery. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Don't have premarital sex. We can get away with it. No. We can't because God knows. It's like thinking that I can jump from several hundred feet up and the law of gravity won't have some sort of effect on me. Centuries later, we read that Ananias and Sapphire did very much the same thing. They presumed on the Lord and God's grace, and they did not take him seriously. Well, I want you to know that after David's burst of anger, after David's burst of anger, and after this happened, we read in a parallel passage that you don't have, and this is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 1-13, through 13, 1 Chronicles 15, 1-13, that David repents. He does repent and he feels genuine sorrow and he asks God for his forgiveness and he seeks the right way, God's way, on how the Ark of the Covenant is to be transported. And he finds out through the priests, through the poles, through the eye holes, on their shoulders that the Ark of the Covenant is to be transported. And finally they get the Ark of the Covenant back in Jerusalem and look at what David is doing in verses 14 and 15. Look at what David is doing. Uh, we read that David wearing a linen ephod and, and danced before the Lord with all his might. And while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark it with shouts and the sound of trumpets... David is dancing before the Lord and there's all kinds of trumpets and there's all kinds of sound and there's worship and they're shouting and shalom, shalom, and oh, glory be to God and hallelujah. I'm paraphrasing now. And they did all this stuff and it was a wonderful time. They, They were so, so excited. Why? Why in the world would David go from depression, discouragement, anger, and loss to joy? It's very, very simple because the more... The more we know the Lord and put into practice the things that he wants us to do, his general and specific plans, general and specific plans for our lives, the more joy and freedom we have. There's freedom and joy. And all we got to do is look at the Charlie Sheens of this world and look at how miserable people are. Charlie Sheen, the highest paid, the highest paid Movie, television, movie, actor. Millions of dollars per episode for two and a half men. He had an episode. Went off the deep end again. Had to go back into recovery. There's no freedom. There's no joy. Millions of dollars. Several wives, children, homes. There's no freedom. Just bondage in his life. But the more that we know God and put into practice his general specific plans for lives, the more joy and freedom will experience. David is the obedient guy, and he's the guy that's having fun. He's out there dancing before the Lord, and he's having a wonderful time. The world system says don't worry about the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't worry about the details. God is bigger than golden ringlets. God's a lot bigger than than, uh, golden rods. God's a lot bigger than carrying the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulder of individuals. God is a lot bigger than that. He's not interested in the details, but he is. He's interested in the details of your life, and he's interested in the details of my life. And that's why the pursuit of personal integrity and holiness is so important to each of us because it affects our lives and our welfare. Well, the second thing I want you to know is the more we know God and put into practice his general and specific plans and principles for lives, the more confident we'll become in our relationship with Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you abide in me, what? I'll abide in you. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will, what? See God. They'll have a relationship with God. They'll have intimacy with God. And the Bible says, the more that we know God and put into practice His general and specific wills for our lives, the more confident you'll, confidence you'll have in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I remember reading uh, a while back. I'm going to close here. But there was this uh, Salvation Army Evangelist and Commissioner, and uh, his name is Samuel Logan Bringle. And he was speaking of his spiritual disciplines. And and this is what he wrote. This wonderfully used man of the Lord. And this is what he wrote. He says, listen to this. I do a lot of listening. I do a lot of listening. Prayer, you know, is not to be a monologue, but a dialogue. It's a communion, a friendly talk. While the Lord communicates with me mainly through His Word, He gives me a great deal of comfort in a direct manner. By comfort, I do not mean cuddling or coddling, but assurance. Assurance of His presence with me and His pleasure in my service. It is like the comfort given. By a military commander to a soldier or envoy, whom he sends into a difficult mission. You go, put on your armor, I'm watching you, I'll send you, I'll send all the reinforcements, reinforcements you need as they are needed. I have to be comforted that way a great deal. I don't assume that God is near me and pleased with me. I want a fresh witness of God's spirit every single day in my life. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about. Others are learning about how the Holy Spirit works and speaks in your individual life. He speaks to us primarily through his word, through precepts of his word, but he's given us his spirit to clarify, to clarify, to ask of us often to do things that we would not do unless the Holy Spirit is convicting and convincing. He would not do that. I believe that one time, if I have the story right, David, while he was during that particular time, while he was a fugitive, and we've talked about his fugitive days, while he was facing all kinds of trials and difficulties, he was on the run from Saul. Saul had his whole army out after him. He was like a a hound, you might want to say, on the blood scent of a wild animal. He was pursuing David from the mountains to the valleys to the deserts, hotly in pursuit of David. And David, in his tent, was talking or praying in quiet whispers. And he basically said, I wish that this would happen. And one of his soldiers heard that and risked his life to provide that for his commander. The nuances and the whispers. And the voice of God, it's available. God speaks to us. He speaks to us. Are we listening? Are, are are we paying attention to the details? The Bible says that we can quench or grieve God's spirit, and that's when we knowingly do something we should not do. And I just tell people, keep short accounts, confess it, get rid of it, ask God to forgive you, and continue on. I want to I say this last statement, and uh, this is what I believe wholeheartedly. The Lord does not have his favorites, but he has his intimates. Are you an intimate? Are you an intimate? I pray so. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together.